0: Good evening, you can turn in your Bibles tonight to Psalm 54, while you're turning let me just say it's good to be here with you all tonight, glad I finally have the opportunity to come over from Redeemer and uh, be here and worship God together with you all uh, this evening. Psalm 54, we're going to read together the entire psalm. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a masculine of David, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? O God, save me by your name, and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, ruthless men seek my life, they do not set God before themselves." Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies, In your faithfulness put an end to them. With a freewill offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Before we come and consider these verses, let's ask the Lord's help in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time in the service that we can now come and consider your word. Lord, we are reminded that as we open up your word, That apart from the work of your spirit in our hearts, we will not and we cannot understand your word. And we will not and we cannot apply it to our lives and live it out. And so we pray as we come into your presence that you would send your spirit to us. That you would open our ears to hear. That you would open our hearts and our minds to understand and receive your word. Pray that you would speak to your people, that you would speak to their needs, that they would see how your word touches our lives. Pray that you would fill me with boldness, give me clarity of thought, and let your people hear you speak to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever received news of something that just sounds way too good to be true? It could be something as exciting as being a senior in high school and finding out that your family gets to go in the middle of the semester on a cruise to Bermuda while all of your classmates have to stay in school. Or it could be as significant as what we experienced at Redeemer last year when we came to church uh, one week to worship the Lord and found out that someone had anonymously donated a million dollars. It just sounds too good to be true. But what if we go deeper than that? What if I told you that in life's darkest moments, it is still possible to be at peace? What if I told you that in moments of great betrayal, when you've been humiliated in a Snapchat story or an Instagram post by those whom you consider to be the closest of your friends, there is one who gives peace and assurance that he will never betray you? What if in your most helpless moments when you're facing the tempting allure of an addiction that no human being can give you the power to be delivered from? What if in those moments you knew the peace and the strong assistance and deliverance of God himself? What if I told you that there's a peace that passes all understanding and yet is real and able to calm every fear, lift every anxiety and ease every burden that you might be facing, whether it's financial disaster, rejection by your family, the overwhelming chaos of projects and deadlines and shifting schedules. It sounds too good to be true. But it's that piece of God that sounds too good to be true that became David's lifeline as he penned the words of Psalm 54. If you turn to 1 Samuel 23 and looked at the verses there, you would see and read of the historical background of this psalm. David had been anointed as the next king of Israel, and Saul, in his jealousy, began to pursue David and to hunt him wherever he went, seeking to kill him. And so David is on the run from Saul, and he's holed up in the wilderness of Judah. Yet as he's there on the run, he's betrayed by the Ziphites. And Saul, when he hears of the location of where David is hiding, he he pursues him once again. And as he pursues David, they wind up on the same mountain, Saul going around one side as David is going down the other. And David's alone, cut off, and helpless. And then divine intervention comes in the form of a raid of the Philistines that forces Saul to to leave off his pursuit of David and to go deal with that raid. Psalm 54 gives us a glimpse into the inner thoughts of David during those days of betrayal and helplessness. And through this psalm, David teaches us this truth. In life's darkest moments, God's people still have peace with God. So draw near to him in faith. And that's the truth that I want us to leave with tonight. In life's darkest moments, God's people still have peace with God. So draw near to him in faith. We'll consider three aspects of this truth. First, we'll consider the prayer for peace. Second, we'll consider the God of peace. And finally, we'll consider the way to peace. So first, consider with me the prayer for peace. This prayer is a desperate prayer. Look at verse 3. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Strangers would be better translated insolent or arrogant men. Because in David's situation, it wasn't strangers that had betrayed David. It was the Ziphites who were from the tribe of Judah, David's own tribe. It was those who naturally would have been David's allies and support, even as Saul sought his life. And that's why this betrayal stung so badly. Yet here they are in their arrogant pride, allying themselves with someone who's acting as the enemy of God and seeking to kill God's anointed servant. And they're persistently ruthless. If if you were to read on in the life of David, a couple chapters later, after 1 Samuel 23, the Ziphites are betraying him to Saul once again. They're ruthless over and over, going after David. And they'll not stop until they see David dead. Sometimes we may wonder why people act this way. And why is a perfectly natural question. Why are my friends turning their back on me? Why does my sister or my brother hate me so much? Why does my boss promise me a a better shift at work that will leave me with time to study and then turn around and assign me closing shifts over and over and over again? Why are people so ruthless and so betraying? David gives us the answer at the end of verse 3. They do not set God before themselves. Essentially, David is saying that these men are living in total obliviousness to who God is and what God expects of us. They're acting in this way because they've turned away from God in rebellion. They're not factoring God into their thoughts. They're they're not considering what his word has to say about their words. They don't care what God has to say about their actions. They're living life in their way, doing what they want, and betraying and steamrolling anyone who gets in their way. And what hurts so much about these men's actions in Psalm 54 is that they're people who should know better. The Ziphites and King Saul were part of the visible community of God's people. They had been exposed to God's ways and God's word. And yet here they are acting as if God doesn't even exist And that's why David's situation is so desperate. Not not only does he have enemies like the Philistines, those outside of God's people who hate God in his ways, not only does he have enemies like that, but he has those within the visible community of God's people. Outwardly associated with God's people, and yet they're acting without thought for God and his ways. And on top of that, they're close to David. It's people from his own tribe. It's his own father-in-law and King Saul. And David's helpless to change the situation. He can't force the Ziphites and Saul to start acting like they fear God and want to honor him. And we can't force people to suddenly start acting like God matters to them. No matter how badly we want to change the hearts of people who are betraying us and people who are wronging us, No matter how much we want to change the situations that we find ourselves in, we are helpless to make people live in the awareness of God. And so David's prayer here is revealing the desperateness of his situation. It's also an intense prayer. Verses 1 and 2 open the same way. Oh God, save me by your name. Oh God, hear my prayer. They're emphatic cries. This isn't isn't like the start of a letter where you say, uh, dear so-and-so, I'm writing to you today with a few concerns that I want to address. There's passion, there's urgency, there's intensity. Think of it this way, there's a certain tone of voice that we use with people when there's something that we want to convey that's important, that's urgent. It implies an immediate need, an emergency, a conversation that needs to happen right now. I had a phone conversation, a phone call earlier this week from someone who had thrown their back out and they were looking for a chiropractor that they could go see. As soon as I picked up the phone and said hello, I could tell that there was something wrong. There was an urgency, an intensity in their voice that expressed a need, a burden, a burden. And that's the urgency that's behind how David is addressing God in these verses. Oh God, save me. Oh God, hear my prayer. The hurt of betrayal and the helplessness of of being trapped with nowhere to run. It lends an immediate intensity to our prayers. It's a dependent prayer. Notice whom David's addressing in verses 1 and 2. He's, he's, he's addressing God. He's not turning to the 600 men who form his little army. He's not turning to his wife. He's not turning to his friend Jonathan. He's not turning to his parents. He's not turning to his brothers, all of whom had been used in various ways at various times to speak encouragement into David's life. But here, he's, he's cut off. He's alone alone. Here he's turning to God. David's helpless to fix his reputation and restore his good name that's being slandered as a rebel and as a traitor to the kingdom. His friends are helpless. His army is helpless. His family is helpless. He cannot go to the court of law and plead the justice of his cause. But he can come into the court of the king of kings and plead for vindication by God himself. Verse 1 again Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. David here is depending upon the one person who can hear and answer his prayer and intervene in the situation that he finds himself in. If we could let this truth sink into our lives, if we could learn early in our lives to bring the hurts and the pains of of betrayal and helplessness to God, we could learn to, to cry out in these situations to him. I see a lot of children here tonight. Children, did you know that we can pray to God and tell him about the various things in our lives that, that hurt and that are wrong? The things that make us sad and bring pain into our lives. Well, it, it can be as something as small as a hurt toe. Or it can be that our mom and dad are sick and going through, through difficult times. It, it's good to talk to our moms and dads about the things that, that make us sad and, 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 and leave us hurt. But we can go to God and we can pray to Him and, and bring those things to Him. Because those, those who love Jesus can talk to God about anything and everything. And young people, the sooner we learn this truth of depending upon God and crying out to Him, the better off we will be. The better we will be as we seek to live for God and deal with life's difficulties. If we could learn to bring the pain of social events that all of our friends are going to and we are left out, if we could learn to bring the betrayal of a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse becoming involved with someone else. If we could learn to bring, bring the overwhelming helplessness of schedules that leave us exhausted and busy and deadlines so pressing. And mothers, if, if, if you could bring the pressures of raising a family. That leave you wanting to crawl in the closet and and hide from everything that has to get done and just bury your face in your hands. And and I know those situations exist because I've talked to my sisters and they've been there. If we could bring all of our hurt and all of our pain to God in, in, in dependent prayer, we would begin to see the peace of God change our lives, heal our hurts. And strengthen us for life. Because David's prayer is not only a desperate prayer. And an intense prayer. And a dependent prayer. But is also a focused prayer. It's a prayer of faith. That is focused upon the character of the God. To whom he is praying. And we see it in the first of two major keys. To understanding what is happening in David's heart. In Psalm 54. Look look at the beginning of verse 4. Behold. God is my helper. Behold, as the idea of surely, right here at this point in the psalm, David is moving from the worry and the fear and the anxiety and the pain and the helplessness of his situation. And he's moving from that by faith to a confident, dependent trust in God and in an assurance that God is hearing him and that God can help him and that God will give him peace. And that one word, this this one word that's so full of faith, leads us to consider in the second place the God of peace. We've considered the prayer of peace. Consider with me now the God of peace. He's a mighty God. Back at verse 1 once again. Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. David's expressing one truth in this verse God is mighty. God's name is might. The way these two phrases fit together, God's name and God's might are equated. Proverbs 18 verse 10 puts it this way. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And that's exactly what David is praying for. Lord, I am a righteous man. I'm seeking to follow you. Declare that righteousness to the ones who are betraying me. I hide myself in you. It's, it, it, you are my safe refuge. Your might can deliver me when I am helpless and cannot deliver myself. Our God is also a life-giving God. Verse 4. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. The terminology that, that David's using here is quite interesting The Hebrew says that God is my helper. The Lord is among those who uphold my life. David's not bringing God down to the level of other ordinary human helpers in this expression. He's actually asserting uniqueness to God. The the category of upholder of life belongs to God. He and he alone is the upholder of life. Ruthless men may be seeking David's life yet here is David's confidence. The Lord upholds my life. It's very similar language to to Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God upholds my life, who can seek my life? If God will not betray me, then who can betray me? If God gives me peace, then who can take that peace away? There's nothing new about what we're seeing. We're so familiar with the fact that God upholds life. Of course God upholds life. We're reminded of that every time we look out and see creation. God is the one who gives life. He's created life. He's the one who sustains it. But do we live in this reality? David pointed out in verse 3 that that the men who were attacking him were not setting God before themselves. But what about us? As we consider the character of God and, and we see who he is, that he is the upholder of life. Are we looking to others to give us peace and to, to uphold our lives? A better-looking Instagram post doesn't uphold our lives. A Facebook rant that just lets off all of the steam that's, that, that, that we have building up doesn't uphold our lives. A promotion doesn't uphold our lives. More vacation time isn't going to uphold our lives. Better grades aren't going to uphold our lives. More friends aren't going to uphold our lives. Doing community projects... Even reaching out into the hospital, which is a fantastic ministry, that doesn't uphold our lives. The only peace and the only help that will ease the hurt of betrayal and fears of the helplessness that we find ourselves in, the only place that comes from is found in the God of peace because he is the upholder of our lives. One other truth to consider about the God of peace and then we'll see how this peace is obtained. Our God is a just God. David prays for vindication in verse 1 and by the time he gets to verse 5 as, as he looks to his God and sees that he acts on behalf of his people David declares that, that, that God will return the evil to my enemies. In his faithfulness God will put an end to them the destruction and the hurt and the betrayal that Saul and the Ziphites were causing, it was all going to rebound back upon them. Justice would be served because God is faithful. He's just. This is who our God is. He's mighty, actually able to do something about the helplessness and betrayal of our lives. He's the upholder of life, the only one who can do something about the betrayal and the helplessness in our lives. And he is just, faithfully, honestly, rightly, fairly dealing with the betrayal and helplessness in our lives. So how does he deal with these situations? That leads us to our final consideration. We've seen the prayer for peace. We've considered the God of peace. Consider with me in the last place the way to peace. We'll never completely make sense of this psalm and and understand David's faith and confidence in God and the progression of his thought until we understand the end of the psalm. Because verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 54 are the key to understanding everything else that is going on in this psalm. So as we consider the way to peace, look with me again at verses 6 and 7. With a freewill offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good, for he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. As I said earlier, there's two massive moments in this, this, this psalm, this prayer of David. And that phrase in verse 6 is the second of those moments. With a freewill offering, I will sacrifice to you. Here's one of those places where we find out how helpful the book of Leviticus can be as we seek to understand other parts of the Old Testament. If we were to go back and read the opening seven chapters of Leviticus, we would see all sorts of rules and regulations about a whole bunch of sacrifices. And those rules and rituals, they seem excessive, they seem repetitive, they seem hard to understand, and completely useless for our life today. Because after all, the book of Hebrews reveals to us that that Jesus has put an end to all of those sacrifices of the Old Testament. But one of the ways in which Leviticus helps us understand the truth of God's word is by painting pictures of the work that Jesus came to do. So if we were to go read those chapters in Leviticus, we we would find out that there's five different types of sacrifices that picture different aspects of the work of Jesus. And one of those sacrifices is called the peace offering. And this free will offering that David speaks of in Psalm 54 verse 6 is one kind of peace offering. A couple more facts and then we'll begin to see the significance of what David is getting at in Psalm 54 Together, all of these offerings pointed to the fact that that we are born sinners in need of the shedding of blood to cleanse us from our sin. We we need a substitute to take the penalty of God's wrath that we deserve. Because when we were born, we we were born at war with God. We were born in rebellion against God. There is no peace with God when we are born. we we, We are traitors to him. And we can never find peace and healing from the hurts and the betrayals of life apart from finding peace with God. And these offerings are picturing that way to find peace. And as you look at all these offerings, the peace offering always came at the end. After all of the other types of offerings had been made, then the Israelites would bring their peace offering. And they did this because the peace offering signified that all was well. All was well between the sinner and God. All was well between the sinner and other sinners. There was peace with God and there was peace with others. And the peace offering showed this truth in a unique way because it was the only offering where everyone got to share the meal together. The priest who offered it. The person bringing the sacrifice and the person's family, they all got to sit down at the table and share in this meal together. And I'm going to resist the temptation to walk down a rabbit trail right now on, the, uh, on how this speaks to what we will be doing in just a few moments around the Lord's table. But there's peace with God and there's peace with each other tonight. So here's David. David. Betrayed by the Ziphites, trapped by Saul, and yet he's declaring in faith that he's going to make a free will offering to God. In the middle of his hurt and helplessness, he's focusing upon the one truth that can never change. He is at peace with God. All is well between him and God. And he's giving thanks to the Lord for God is good. So how does this help us today? How do we how do we get this peace that the offerings were picturing and that they were pointing to? How do we get this peace that David found so much assurance and confidence in? Turn with me to Romans five. Romans five, and I'm going to read verse one and then verses six to eleven. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation or peace. In Jesus Christ, all is well. In Jesus, God deals with the hurt and the betrayal of our own sin. When we were weak and helpless, unable to save ourselves, Jesus Christ died for us. And so now God's people, every one of us, a betrayer by nature, and every one of us trapped and alone and helpless in our sins. But now Jesus, in Jesus we have peace with God. He is the substitute. He is the perfect offering. Offered up, taking God's wrath upon him, the wrath that we deserved. And Jesus is the way to peace. And it's a peace that can never, ever be lost. It's a full peace. It's it's a final peace. It's a fixed peace. And no betrayal of our closest friends can shatter our peace with God. No attack of the enemy can cause God to go back Upon this statement of peace, those in Jesus are at peace with God. And it's as we begin to grasp the significance of that peace that that, that we have with God through Jesus that we find answers to life's deepest hurts and betrayals and helpless feelings. By faith, we look beyond the betrayals. We look beyond the dark disappointments, and we look to the hope of glory that that that, that peace with God holds out for us, that that we will see God face-to-face Clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And the hope of, the, of glory is that that peace that we have with, with God in Jesus, with that peace comes a love from which we can never be separated. And that's why Paul says in Romans 8, verses 35 to 39, who shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation, including the betrayals and the helplessness and the dark disappointments of life. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It sounds too good to be true. Maybe our problem tonight, maybe maybe our difficulty tonight, maybe the reason we are not living in the experience of God's peace is because we don't want to believe it because it sounds too good to be true. There still lives within us a a, a desire to, to do something to earn that peace with God. And yet the reality is that Jesus has done everything. And that united to him we have a perfect, complete peace with God. And it's true. No matter how much it may sound too good to be true, it is true. It's the reality that calms our fears, that heals our betrayals, and that gives us strength when we are weak and helpless. And that's why David can exclaim at the end of Psalm 54, for God has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Whether or not David ever physically got to see triumph over his enemies, though he did. The reality is he was speaking from a a point in time in which he had not yet seen that triumph. And he declares in faith that he has peace with God. This is the peace that we have in Jesus Christ. This is the love that we have in Jesus. So how do we make use of it in our daily lives? We draw near to God in faith. We get on our knees with God's word and pray in humble, dependent faith Because until we get on our knees with God's word and and let God remind us from his word as we cry out to him of the truth of who he is and of the truth of, of who we are in Jesus, we're never going to experience the daily benefits of his peace. I've been in the blackness. I've stared into it. I know what it feels like And this is the only way to experience the peace that's going to put an end to those hurts and betrayals. It's not a magic cure that's going to fall out of the sky. It's as we get on our knees before God with his word. It's obtained through the long, difficult, daily struggle of crying out to God and moving from that desperation and despair, moving by faith to see him. And to see the peace that he he gives to us with himself and with each other. It sounds too good to be true, but Psalm 54 reminds us that this peace is not too good to be true. It reminds us that in life's darkest moments, we still have peace with God. And it calls us to draw near to him by faith. So how will we respond tonight? Will we keep trying to find peace in our phones, in our perfect pictures, in our friendships, in our spouses, in our careers? Or will we, by faith, look to Jesus and his peace and see that when peace like a river attends our ways or when sorrows of betrayal and helplessness like sea billows roll, That whatever our lot, God has taught us to say, it is well, it is well with our souls. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that the good news of the gospel is unlike anything else that we hear. We confess that the peace that we have with you does sound too good to be true. And yet, Lord, by faith we declare our confident rest in the peace that we have in Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would take this word now and seal it to our hearts. May each one of your people gathered here tonight... Know the peace of God, which passes all understanding. And Lord, we pray for those who may be here tonight still outside of you, still at war with you. May you open their eyes to the desperateness of their situation. May you work in their hearts, save their souls, and bring them to peace with you. In Jesus' name, amen. ask that the elders now come forward.